This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are joined by Rowan Smith. Rowan is a personal trainer who founded Summit Strength. Summit Strength is a personal training service for hikers created specifically to help hikers have the best chance of a safe, enjoyable, and successful adventure. He is here today joining us from Australia, the land out under, and share some of his tips. Welcome to the podcast, Rowan. Thank you very much, Sarah. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to chat about all this. So yeah, bring it on. Yes. And now that I said the land down under, I just want to start singing the song land down under. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can, you can stream that into the intro music. Why not? (laughs) Yes, I could. I could. So I'm curious, how did you get interested in becoming a personal trainer? Like, do you have a personal story about hiking and injury at all? Yeah. So, so kind of, kind of the way I sort of fell into what I do these days in like personal training specifically for hikers, like throughout my whole life, I've sort of had two things that I've been really, really interested in. Like number one was sort of sports performance. And when I was, uh, when I was younger, I played a sport under the sun. I had aspirations of being like a, you know, a almost professional sprinter, um, but I wasn't good enough basically. And as, as the, the old saying goes, if you, if you can't do it, you teach it. So then I, out of that I was like you know what I want to train professional athletes I went to university studied for sport and exercise science and then came out of that and realized that wasn't my passion but I did love helping the everyday person get better at what they did Um, so that's I fell into personal training from that and I did that did that for many many years on the other side of things my other passion in life has really been sort of all different types of adventure. So, you know, I was bushwalking and hiking with my my old man from a pretty early age around, you know, the local bush in Australia. I did scouts for years and years and absolutely loved that. Um, when I got out of high school, sort of and got free for the first time, um, I spent, you know, a good few years, my life was centered around sort of traveling around different countries, um, backpacking, like not backpacking on the trail, but backpacking around different countries and doing lots of day hiking around there. Um, and then, you know, that was stuff I really, really enjoyed that sort of freedom, that challenge of different physical pursuits like that. Um, and then essentially about five years ago, um, I'd just come back into Australia after living abroad for a few years, um, living over in the United Kingdom. And I got a job um, at a gym, which was one of these simulated attitude gyms, um, which this is the first place I ever got exposed to hikers and trekkers and mountaineers in a professional sense. Like I'd hiked my whole life. but I'd Simulated never really- altitude, you said? Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of, you know, living over in Australia, we don't have any attitude at all in the world, um, in the country, I should say. And, uh, and a lot of people, you know, aspire to do these big, big, like bucket list hikes and treks like Everest Base Camp and Kilimanjaro. And, and the thought of sort of idea behind this simulated attitude stuff is, if you can't go to real attitude, this is kind of supposed to be the next best thing where you can go into this environment where they um, change the percentage of oxygen. So you can go in there and the body can adapt a little bit um, and get you ready for these adventures. And uh, when you look into it, the science is debatable. Like, you know, it can have some benefits. It's probably not as good as everyone says, but the, the fact was that lots and lots of people were coming to this particular gym and I was serving a lot of people. And I was like, you know what? 
this is amazing. Like actually, instead of training people just to lose a few kilos around the belly or you know, get bigger biceps, as I'd spent a lot of my, lot of my time doing, I was training these people who go and doing these hikes. So like, you know, Everest Base Camp, Kilimanjaro, um, people going to go to, you know, all these really, really amazing, amazing places. And I was like, this is so, so satisfying. And I love it. But I realized pretty quickly that, um, the, the way that we went about things at that gym um, and the way that we went about things like all around the world for training wasn't particularly great um, in the sense that you know, all the hikers were just getting trained as the everyday Joe. Like they were just given, you know, crazy circuits. They were just getting trained to the ground. Um, but, you know, hikers have their own unique demands as we all know, like, you know, carrying a heavy pack, having, you know, super long climbs or super long descents. Well, not to mention the nutrition that comes along with all of the hikers. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And like, and then the pain side of things, which I'd never really considered, but so many hikers have foot pain, have knee pain, have back pain. And, and we weren't doing anything to help it in that gym. And you went online and there was just no help available there. So that's when sort of the idea where that I was thinking, look, I have the skills to do a really good job with this. I've got the experience in hiking. I've got the passion to see, you know, this is something I really, really enjoy. And that was kind of the inspiration where Summit Strength came from and sort of take this group of amazing people who are doing these crazy things around the world and even people who are just doing their normal, you know, weekend hiking, but get them in a better physical and mental position so they can go out and really, really enjoy it and also challenge themselves in other ways. And at about three years ago or so was when I stepped out under my own steam and summit strength and began to apply all that. And that's sort of where I've come from. So I was so lucky to have those two things in my life, which I really, really enjoyed and really, really passionate about sort of collide. And now it's, you know, a career that I absolutely love. So yeah, that's a, a little bit about my story. Yeah, that's awesome. Like when things just kind of align with the stars and your two passions collide. That's amazing. And I didn't even know that those gyms existed to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're cropping up more and more. Um, they're kind of one of those next big things in fitness, which again, like they're, they're fun. They do some things, but it's, yeah, the actual gym environment is a bit debatable, but a lot of mountaineers do do a similar thing where they like sleep in attitude tents and stuff like that before they go into a massive, massive climb, um, which has a bit more, you know, evidence behind it. It's a bit more proof behind it, but you probably will. Now that I've noted, uh, mentioned it, you'll probably see attitude gyms here and there. It's kind of the thing when your glass shattered and you're like, oh, actually, I notice it now. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's probably yeah. one down the street from me. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, I mean, like you say, like the next big thing in fitness, like things are always trending in fitness and everything. But I think as hikers, like you said, there's so many specialized things that hikers need to think about when we're going out. And I mean, here in Minnesota, too, all we have is pretty much a lot of flat land. We have some elevation, but by no means do we have a way to train for hardcore mountains. So how can people especially in the off season too. I mean, here in Minnesota, we are covered in snow right now. I know you guys don't get that there, <laughs> but you know, for some people they see snow and that kind of scares them from the idea of hiking at all. So what are the best ways people can stay fit for hiking when not hiking? Yeah. So this is a, this is a really big thing that I deal with. And it's a really, really common question because there are so many different situations, which, you know, the typical advice you get online, I want to get fit for hiking and someone, some, you know, smart aleck is just like, just go out and hike. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's great. But, you know, it, it's not so possible for so many people. So as you said, maybe weather, like I've got lots of people over in the US and Canada at the moment who are packed under snow and getting out hiking. It's not so possible. Some people are snowshoeing in that, but you know, it's not really their favorite thing compared to hiking. Some people are, you know, in the middle of summer have been really, really struggling over in Australia with, you know, super, super, super hot weather. And they, they can't get out hiking because of that, because it's, you know, actually dangerous for some people. And there's other people who live hours away from a trail and, you know, the fact of getting out hiking all the time, it's not realistic. Some people have young families, some people, you know, there's all these different reasons that stop us getting out on the trail. But there are so many things we can do in our day-to-day -day life and in our local neighborhood, which can get us fit specifically for the trail. So when you actually get out there, um, you're not starting from square one. And that's a big part of what I do. So typically the three things that I generally recommend, um, you know, for, for anyone in this situation, three things you can really fit in is number one, 
um, some type of strength training. Now, strength training is a bit foreign for a lot of hikers and it's not the first thing you'd think about, but it really has three really, really, really big benefits for any hiker. Number one, um, it is probably the single best thing you can do to prevent pain and injury when you're actually hiking. If you're applying structured strength training into your week, it's so, so good for helping support the feet, the knees, the back, and that's really, really beneficial. Number two, it is um, it increases what's called our movement economy. So basically, the stronger our muscles are, every single step we take on the trail uses less energy, essentially. So if you can spend a bit of time doing that at home, when you step out on the trail, you know, you're going to be in a better position. And number three, it just, you know, it's a bit common sense, but it makes a sense and descents much, much easier. Just physically easier. Every single step you use feels a little bit easier so you don't fatigue so, so quickly. So pretty much all my clients, so even if they're in in-season hiking or if they can't get out on the trail, they're doing some type of strength training in their week. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to a gym, you don't have to do anything crazy, but, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes, a couple of times a week can go a long way. Now, the other side of things is, um, you know, if you can't get on the trail quite a bit, is what I like to use called hiking specific conditioning, which is kind of a fancy way of saying just cardio training, which is really, really targeted particular aspects of hiking fitness. So instead of saying, okay, I'm just gonna go do a random gym class, or I'm just gonna go walk on the treadmill or something like that. You have to think about saying, okay, what sections on the trail do I struggle with? And what do I find is a little bit of tricky and you know, what, what could be a little bit easier? So typical things like this is, you know, going up hills, getting out of breath. Um, you know, that might be one thing, or it might be carrying a pack and you might be, you know, out of season hiking, but then you've got a full backpack and trip coming up, or it might be some, a lot of people struggle keeping up with hiking groups um, or something like that. And then you have to think about, okay, these particular areas that I need to improve on, what can I do to actually physically improve on that? And it takes a little bit of thought around this, but typical things for if you want to improve your, your pack carrying ability is just doing loaded pack walking around the neighborhood. Even if it's snowing 30, 40 minutes around the neighborhood, walking around the block with a pack on your back, you know, it's the simplest thing in the world, but it can make a big difference if you're consistent with it. Um, if you're struggling with elevation in the sense of your legs get a bit burning, you, you might do the typical thing of a hiker. Hikers often recommend finding a set of stairs, finding a hill in your local neighborhood and going up and down that a number of times. Or if you're completely stuck at home, just getting a step, um, some type of step that's, you know, you can go up and down and doing that for periods of four or five minutes at a time, maybe with a pack on your back if you're feeling brave. Um, if you're trying to improve your cardiovascular function, you know, going up hills, um, so you're not hot, so out of breath, you can maintain a conversation, you know, you can find like a stationary bicycle, um, you can find maybe a, an elliptical or any piece of sort of cardio equipment you might find in the gym or in a home gym. Um, and you can do some sort of extended intervals on that. So typically, I really like to do periods of three minutes really, really, really quick. And then you have a minute and a half slow and repeat that multiple times. And without getting too sciencey, that's a really, really effective workout to help you cardiovascularly, you know, going up hills. Or if you want to improve your hiking speed, you can do periods of really quick walking around your neighborhood and then periods of, uh, of slower walking and really, really try to push that speed out. And as you can see, like, you know, these things aren't too complicated, but they directly will help you on the trail. And even if you are restricted from weather or elevation or something like that, most people are going to have access to that. Um, if you're in the middle of a snowstorm, you're obviously going to be a bit more creative and you got to like, you know, adapt that stuff to indoors, but you know, you can do that as well. And then the third aspect of training, which I always get my hikers to do is just a little bit of mobility and flexibility work. I mean, it's often so neglected by hikers, but spending 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a few times a week, doing some stretching, doing some foam rolling, whatever it may be. Um, if you have muscles that are super, super tight, you know, not only is that going to get in the way of doing certain sections on the trail, if you're doing big step ups, if you're, you know, walking up hills and your calves are tight and you're always up on your toes and your calves get really tired. They're really little things that can make a difference. Um, and you can change that at home. You can change that without getting to the trail to make it much more comfortable. So um, yeah, with a, I know I rambled on a little bit there. So I love talking about this in case you haven't realized, but there is so much you can fit into your training, uh, which doesn't involve you going on the trail, which can specifically help you on the trail. Yeah. And you know, I love that you're talking about like training and a lot of it didn't even involve going into a gym. Like it involves like putting a pack on and just going around your house or stretching at home. Like these aren't things that you need a gym for. I think so often people think that to be fit, we need a gym, but, and I know like this past year has taught me that I, cause of COVID, like I've stopped going to the gym and I'm like thriving in fitness still because I'm like the gym's not necessary. Like just going for a hike around your neighborhood, like you said, so amazing. And yeah, I love that. Like 
as far as the training, the HIT training, I think you were saying, I thought I saw a post that said HIT training isn't the best for truckers. Is that right? Yeah. So essentially what I generally talk about advocate for hikers when it comes to their cardiovascular training is the typical HIIT training, which is really, really popular at the moment where you'll do sort of 45 seconds of hard work, 15 seconds rest, do that five or six times of random exercises, or maybe 20 seconds sprint, 10 seconds rest or whatever. You know, that stuff is good for general fitness. And if you thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy that and you don't want to do any other training because you enjoy that, absolutely go for it. But it's not a super, super relevant way for training for hiking. Now, the reason behind that is that type of training we do in really, really quick in small periods, that's training different energy systems that you usually will use when you're actually on the trail. So it's training what's called your anaerobic energy systems, which is essentially you're producing energy without using oxygen as a fuel source. When you're hiking, you don't really get to that stage where you're absolutely huffed and puffed, completely knackered. You're mostly using your aerobic energy systems, you know, to get technical. So that's one thing. Number two is typical hit training. I don't want to paint everyone under the brush, but 95% 95% of HIIT training you find online or in gyms, there's not really a huge amount of thought behind it. Um, it's it's in the moment, it's, it's good because you get knackered and people enjoy that. But no one really thinks about long-term progression. No one really thinks about exercise balance. There's a lot of exercises thrown in there which aren't great for many people, like really high impact exercises, which some people can do, but a lot of people get ground up. Like I've worked in three HIIT studios in the past and, and it's the, the amount of people that go through those doors and... Some people love it, but the amount of people get churned over because of aches and pains and injuries, it's it's not pretty. Well, right. I love that you said the word balance, right? Like there isn't balance because I've done HIIT training, but to balance that out, I also, yeah, like the yoga is like a huge part of that too. And so you're saying that if that's all you're doing, so it's it's okay to do as a hiker, you're saying, but we we need to balance it. That's it. Like it's, it's the type of thing where if you're doing say five sessions a week and maybe one or two of them are like that type of training, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to, you know, destroy you. If you're doing other things around it. So you're doing structured strength training, doing a little bit of longer cardio. um, That's fine. But if it's, that's all you're doing, you can be doing much, much better. Um, And then the way I like to approach and what I was talking about before with those intervals is if you can do interval training, that has a very definitive structure behind it and very definitive purpose. So those particular intervals, to get sciencey for a second, I'm trying not to go cross-eyed here, but basically they're designed at three minutes of work and 90 seconds of rest. They're designed to target the very, very top level of your aerobic energy system. So essentially the very top level of intensity your body can maintain while using oxygen as a fuel source. Now in hiking, that's specifically relevant for when we're going up hills and we are getting out of breath, because if you can go in those higher intensity sections of the trail, but still be predominantly using your aerobic energy system, that's going to be amazing for your your efficiency over time. That's going to be amazing for your fuel economy and a whole bunch of things. So if you can go in with a purpose and say, okay, I know this interval is actually trying to achieve this thing, as opposed to just get me tired, that's a positive. And the other thing you really need to think about is is there some way where I'm progressing this each week? So typical HIIT training, you just go absolutely 100% every single session. And that'll do you well for four, five, six weeks and you'll keep on improving. But there'll come a point where you don't, you don't really get start getting improving anymore. And you start feeling guilty that you're not getting fitter. You start trying to push yourself further. And it, it just doesn't really shift. However, if you're doing interval training like I was recommending before, and you might do one set, five, uh, one week of five repetitions, next week of six repetitions, next week of seven. And you have a definitive way of progressing things each week you do it. Um, and it's very, very clear to you and you know what you're doing ahead of time. That's one of the golden rules of training and that'll take you much, much, much further. So it's not to say hit is the enemy of anything, but I think there's just so many better ways of doing it, which require less effort to get you in a better shape for the trail. So that's sort of my, my, um, my thesis around that. Right. Well, and because you were talking about when you're going up hills, like like we said, a lot of us don't have hills that we can train on where we live. So when you want to be efficient when you're going up the hill, what other exercises would help at that? So the sort of yeah three things essentially that I always, always recommend for people going up hills if they don't have elevation to train on. Number one, um, in your strength training, you know, as I said, strength training is super, super relevant. You probably want to be making sure that you're doing, you know, some type of 
not only high repetition strength training, which a lot of uh, hikers will do, where they'll do lots of squats, lunges, um, step ups, and they'll do 15, 20 at a time. They'll do lots and lots and lots of that, but also doing periods of a bit lower repetition, but a little extra weight. So you might be doing exercises, which is eight repetitions or less. And you might use a dumbbell, a barbell, or even just a loaded pack if you don't have access to any of those. And you might just do periods of that. And that one tiny simple change from a typical hiker who just has spent their whole life doing this high repetition stuff, that can make a really, really significant change to your performance going up hills. Because the fuel factor of having extra muscle strength and not just the muscle endurance it makes a really, really big difference going uphill. So that one little change can make a really massive difference that I highly recommend hikers do. Number two is, um, is doing those aerobic power intervals that I mentioned. They're amazing for your cardiovascular function. So you shouldn't, anyone can do that, even if you don't have hills, whether it's on a stationary cycle or elliptical or whatever. And number three, trying to find some way where you can get a sort of sustained burn on the muscles for longer periods of time. And this is really typically aimed at improving what's called local muscular endurance. So if you're lucky enough to maybe have a hill which will go for three or four minutes in your local neighborhood, that's great. And you can do repetitions of that and put a loaded pack on and you can sort of train your body to do that over time doing more. If you don't have access to that, maybe a set of stairs, you know, hikers love doing in an apartment block, in an office tower, something like that. Again, not everyone has access to them, but if they're there, that's possible. Another option, as I said before, is maybe finding a, just a step, a step at home, a step like, you know, around, uh, around the local neighborhood and doing periods of four or five minutes of literally just stepping up and down and really try to get a good burn on the legs. And then if you don't have access to that, if that's not convenient, you might just choose a really simple exercise you do at home. It might be body weight squats. It might be lunges if you're happy with lunges and doing periods of extended uh, repetitions of them. So again, periods of four to five minutes um, and going nice and slow, really chasing a burn and pushing through that burn. And putting those three things together, the, the lower repetition strength training, which is going to you know, develop that muscle strength, that higher intensity cardio in that sort of a three minutes on 90 seconds off that I recommended, and that um, some sustained burn, whether it's on a hill, set of stairs, a step, or just with slow exercise, uh, strength exercises, put those three things together and you will really be, you know, do that for three or four weeks and it will make a massive, massive difference. Um, and if you don't have access to hills to actually train on, you can still get really, really good results for that. And I've had people, you know, who literally haven't seen a hill um, for six months and then have gone and do some, done something at Kilimanjaro with like a, a 14 hour summit day of just up. Um, and they've gotten through it with that sort of a, that sort of thing. So it is very, very possible. It just takes consistency, a little bit of planning and a little bit of thought behind it. But I would say those three things are super relevant. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing that people without hills are doing this. It's, it, it just shows that when you put your mind to something, you can go and do it no matter what. I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges you see people facing when they're trying to get in shape for the hike, to, for a hike, for a big, big hike? So a few, a few things that always, always, always pop up. Number one is this happens all the time. And this is, I hear this literally every single week is a hiker will say, okay, I've got a hike coming up. You know, whatever it may be, it might be if their first overnight hike, it might be not multi uh, multi day, it might be a big mountain climb, whatever it is, and they're like, I need to get fit for this. So they either go online and look for a training program to get fit for this particular hike, or they just have in their mind, right, I'm going to come up with something. And the first thing people think about is I've got to go out and hike and walk three or four times a week. So some people might be doing two or three hikes a week. Some people might be doing one hike a week, but they're just doing lots and lots of walking around the local neighborhood. And that's all they're doing. And what will happen is the first three or four weeks, it's great. They're getting fitter, they're getting stronger. They're feeling this really, really good. After five or six weeks, they start to feel, oh, you know, the body's not liking this so much, but it's okay. I'm just going to push through. And after seven or eight weeks or something, something comes up. So they get plantar fasciitis, they get really bad knee pain, they get shin splints, something like that. And at this point, they're like, oh my gosh, my hike is coming up in two months, three months. I've got all this aches and pains. I'm scared. I'm worried. And their body starts to sort of fail on them. That's something I see every single week and I hear from every single week. Um, and it's, you know, it's so easily avoidable. Um, but it's just the first thing that people think about is just doing heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of walking. Yes, walking is definitely important and hiking is definitely important. I would never say not do it if you don't get the opportunity. But you need to, to balance it out with other things. Well, and that, like, 
that goes hand in hand with like the through hiker problems too. Cause so many people are through hiking, but that's all they're doing is hiking. They forget about the other aspect of it. So, I mean, as you were describing that, all I was thinking about was through hikers who get off the trail because of this, like six or seven weeks after. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and in the, in the through hiking situation, obviously your options are limited um, when you're actually on the trail and you're never going to ask a hiker to do, you know, strength training on the trail or anything like that. It is not going to happen. But essentially what you can do beforehand, if you can sort of build your body up in some specific ways, and if you can do some particular training, um, you can very much increase your tolerance and your resilience and reduce your likelihood of you breaking yourself down, you know, at that point. Um, and then also on top of that for through hikers, the typical thing is, you know, a little bit of self-care when you're actually on the trail, a little bit of rolling with your water bottle or your trekking pole, a little bit of stretching each day, even if it's only five minutes, it can go a massive, massive way um, to preventing or reducing the likelihood of those things. So just the typical walking, 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 walking in someone's preparation. It's so common, but it could be done so much better. And I think that's probably the number one issue um, or problem I see from many, many hikers. Was there any other issues that you see? Um, the other stuff kind of goes hand in hand with that is um, is people who just have a busy life. Um, so they might have a young family, they might have a really busy job, they might be you know under the pump with COVID or something going like that, and they have a particular trip date in mind. But then again, they look at one of these programs and they're like, oh my gosh, how can I fit in um, two or three or four or five hours walking every single week? It's just not going to happen with my life. Um, and then what happens there is they're like, okay, that's not realistic. So I'm just going to go to the gym and I'm just going to do random exercises. I'm going to do random you know, exercise classes or whatever. And I'm going to do the hit training we were talking about, um, which is sort of, you know, the best bang for the buck in that time. And, and yeah, that's okay. But again, it could be done so much better. And, you know, for people who are short on time, there's so much you can do in even 20 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. If you're putting your direction in the right areas to help you on the trail, as opposed to just trying to train like everyone else um, who you know, might be training for weight loss or might be training for muscle gain and, and hoping that's going to improve you on the trail. It'll take you to a point, but you can do a lot better. So the time restriction, just restriction, uh, time restricted training, such a common issue for many hikers, um, but there are ways around it um, that you can do if you are, you know, limited in, in whatever way. Right. Well, and then when you're not trained right for the hike, injuries are going to come up, of course. So I'm curious, what are some of the biggest injuries you see hikers getting? I would imagine foot injuries are one of them and knee injuries. <laughs> yeah. So the, the two big ones are the typical hiker's knee, um, which always gets flared up on, you know, downhills and descents and, you know, people get really uncomfortable knees um, and then, you know, foot injuries of some type of, I won't say plantar fascia, fasciitis specifically, but plantar issues in that general area. Cause there's so many different things that's going on there. They're the two big things. Um, that I'll often see. Um, and then again, you can, there's not much, you, there's not a huge amount you can do when you're actually on the trail to prevent that, but the stuff in your preparation, um, you can do so much to reduce the likelihood of that. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's something that I work with people all, every, every single day. And that's a big part of what of my, my speciality, because a lot of people who have these aches and pains, they'll go see a physical therapist or a physio, they'll get a few exercises and they'll be like, okay, I'm good. I'm doing it for a couple of weeks. Um, and then, you know, the issue will start getting a bit more comfortable and they'll be like, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. Or they just won't be motivated to stick with it. Um, and then they'll, you know, they'll leave it three or four weeks. They'll go step out on the trail and their pain will be back. And it'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm on this returning thing. And then they start like leaning into the, the vitamin I. I have just ibuprofen, 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 you know, guzzling it before they get on the trail to get through a day. And it's just, again, it, it is disheartening to see. And it's sad to see that a lot of people stuck in this cycle of pain getting in the way of, you know, hiking is what we enjoy. It's what we, what we go to to disconnect and to, to connect with nature and to get mental health. And if pain is stuck in your head that whole time, a lot of those benefits and that enjoyment, that fun and that adventure, it gets sucked away. Um, so doing some work beforehand to try and get on top of those things, specifically doing specific strength training, doing specific mobility training, having a structured program. So you're not just going out and doing random walking, but slowly bit by bit by bit uh, stepping up. 90% of things you can make a positive, positive change to. You may not fix to complete the issue if you have something going on, if you've had a reconstruction or something, but you can always make positive change. And that's, uh, that's what I always preach to my clients. And, and that's, um, yeah, something I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit passionate about. <laughs> 
Right. Well, and like, I know like you can train as much to like help yourself get injuries and how much of having, I mean, I definitely know having good shoes is going to prevent foot injury, but like, what's your take on like having good shoes versus training yourself for the hike? Like how important is good shoes in the grand scheme of things too? So there's, there's no argument that good shoes are important. Um, they definitely make a massive, massive difference to the, to our comfort and, and, you know, you can tell the difference between having a bad, bad set of shoes that don't fit you and a good set of shoes. Like they're very, very important. But hikers tend to just put 95% of their attention to this choice and 5% attention to the other stuff. But generally it should be the other way around. You know, you can make a shoe decision very, very quickly. You can get something that works for you very, very quickly, but then you want to be focusing on the other things and building up your body or building up your mind or getting the strategies in place you need to support yourself. Um, a great, great quote that I absolutely love when it comes to using some type of gear for your aches and pains. So whether it's, you know, relying on shoes, whether it's relying on high top boots for your ankles, whether it's relying on a knee brace or whatever, is it's like using an, a, a Band-Aid for an arterial spurt. Yes, it's going to be, you know, helpful, but it's not going to fix the issue. You need to be doing something else to change things so this actual issue doesn't keep on cropping up. And that's where the training comes in. I love that you just said that because you're right. So many people like I'm in all these, you know, hiking Facebook groups and people are get very focused on what type of shoe is the best shoe, but I've never seen someone say like, what's the best way you guys train for hiking? <laughs> yeah. It's um, people, people are pretty tend to weed people out who talk about training about hiking because a lot of hikers are very disdainful of training because they're like, look, I hike to enjoy myself. I hike to get fit or, you know, this is all good, but why would you train for hiking? That's a common thing I always see. And, you know, there's so much argument against that, but people are very, very passionate about not training for their hiking. Um, but, you know, what can you do? And it's, uh, it's also the typical thing with the ultralighters. Um, so I'm, I'm the farthest thing from an ultralight hiker myself, but you see, you know, people obsessing over grams, over toothpaste, um, you know, holding your toothpaste containers over toothbrushes, over, you know, whatever. And they're obsessing over every single gram. But then my argument around that is, yes, you can reduce your pack weight to a certain extent, but you can also increase your, what's called your power to rate ratio. So if you get stronger, your body actually weighs less, like relatively. And the pack you're carrying and the weight you're carrying weighs less relatively. Um, so yeah, you definitely can decrease the amount of your pack, but if you even get a tiny bit stronger, that's going to make a significant difference to the actual weight of your pack and how it feels and how your body responds to it. Um, but you never see anyone talking about that because it's a, uh, it's taboo in the, <laughs> the ultra light hiking world. <laughs> hey, for sure. And like the ultra height liking is ultra light hiking right now is like, the big thing that everybody is looking at and everybody's always trying to get the newest technology and the lightest gear. But in all reality, like you just said, it, if you just train yourself, you don't necessarily need that. <laughs> yeah. And I would never argue against ultralight stuff, but in conjunction, you know, it's always going to be better. <laughs> right. And um, another thing that you definitely support people doing is using hiking poles. So one thing that shocked me when I was reading that, I think it said it helps with your, um, I, I wrote it down, like your, your fingers, something about yeah, the swollen, stop fingers. swollen fingers. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. So that's like, I, I, I am such a massive advocate for using hiking poles and trekking poles for, for any hiker, you know, over our side of the world, I don't know about your part of the world, but it's considered really dorky for people to use it over here and um, people will fight tooth and nail not to use them. Um, it's a bit different in Europe, but, um, but people really don't like them, but I'm such a massive advocate for them um, specifically for the fingers. Yeah. So those are sausage fingers. We I call them. And um, when people are walking and they might not have great circulation and they're fingers just swell up and um, my fiance gets it all the time and she has a real issue with it in a second we'll literally walk to the shops and my fingers will start swelling so when we're on a hike they turn like twice the size of it um, but you know a really easy way to combat that is if you're using your hiking poles your hands are actually moving they're not just in like length sitting by the side and um, keeps the blood circulating and yeah it's such an easy fix to the old sausage fingers if you struggle with them um, but on top of that, they're so beneficial for reducing force through the knees, reducing force through the feet. They um, make um, the feelings of going uphill easier. Um, they give you stability on the downhills. They, you know, 
this is all like not just me saying there's a lot there's actually you know studies and science behind this they're admittedly very very small but um but there is some evidence to show that this is not just a feeling of perception of uh, this feels good but there's actually good things going on internally using the polls so you know i say anyone who has an ankle pain it's a must-have no matter what um and then for any general hiker um i would generally recommend them as well because it's such an easy win um it's just try to avoid looking like a dog <laughs> is the main thing <laughs> that's so interesting you know like i don't think that, like yes they look dorky but i think there are more people seem to use them here i i see a handful of people out on the trails with them around minnesota at least and i mean i know i use them quite often out on the trail but yeah i mean i think a lot of people do have kind of the perception that they're also maybe for older generations of hikers too or maybe people who are a little overweight but some people, like I use them all the time. I think there's so, and they help with balance when you're going on the roots and everything. There's so many great benefits to them. Yeah. Um, like typical example, my, my fiance, she, she gets knee pain. Um, she gets sausage fingers, two big things that poles can help with. If we go on a hike, unless I specifically pack them in the car, and if I, unless I specifically pull them out of the trailhead and put them in her hands, she won't use them and she'll be like oh i forgot oh shame um, and even though she like gets so many benefits out of it she doesn't want to use it um and at least on this side of the world like you know younger generations are not so keen on them i get funny looks for using them myself but i love them um but you know hopefully more and more people will be using them yeah for sure i mean i'm yeah i love using them too what's the best way you would suggest people to fit their hiking poles to their body Oh, so I, I always say with this because no, I, I, I'm all right with gear stuff, but like there's always a million and one things going into it. So I always recommend on this note, go into your local adventure store, talk to someone there because everyone's body shape's a little bit different. Everyone's arms length different. Everyone's got different things going on. Go into your local adventure gear store, obviously if it's open these days um, and get that advice there in person. Same thing goes for your shoe fitting. Same thing goes for your pack fitting and all that because uh because yeah, you know, for me, like, you know, I'm not the expert in regards to the actual use of gear and, um, and everyone's a little bit different. So that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my take there. Yeah. Well, with pack fitting, I, would you say that people get, I'm sure you see people with back injuries and is the wearing the pack the wrong way, usually the cause of the injury? Um, it's, it, it can sometimes be a, a contributor. It's, it generally would be, you know, from what I see of people who already deal with something like that already in their day-to-day. -day. So they, you know, they have other risk factors for their back pain and things that are sort of contributing to it. But then when they go on with an ill-fitting pack, that's when it gets flared up to something bad. Um, so they probably already deal with it mildly from time to time. But if they go onto a, pack, uh, onto a trek, um, a hike with a pack they haven't used in a while, with a weight they haven't used in a while, um, yeah, that's when not so much injury because injury is pretty major word for when it comes to backs, but when they can get real uncomfortable and real painful, um, that's sort of the tipping point for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. I know that, that the hip belt on that pack is like a huge must for me to prevent any sort of soreness at all in my back. That hip belt that those packs come on is a huge thing. Um, I'm curious about another thing that you have a lot of information on is avoiding fatigue when you're out hiking. I mean, hikers, especially through hikers can go for hours and hours and hours without stopping. And then all of a sudden they get at camp and they're just like even too exhausted to set up their tent. <laughs> yeah. um, or there's like just the day hiker who doesn't go out hiking that often and they go a couple miles in and they get super fatigued too. What are the best ways to prevent that fatigue? Yeah, so this is a this is a really fun topic because this is the type of thing where you know in the training world we always talk about you want to avoid quick fixes. Usually, it, nothing is a quick fix or a magic pill, um, and it does take time for things to change. But when it comes to avoiding fatigue, aside from the training side of things, there are quick fixes that can make a big difference. And and that any hiker, even if you're not interested in training, you're not interested in that type of thing, if you just put a few tips into action, it can make a really, really quick difference. So number one, first and foremost, is um, is sort of watch your, your food when you're putting into, putting into on your trail. 
Um, I mean, you know, I'm not a dietitian, so I won't go into detail on the specifics of that, but the really one, one simple tip that I give my clients, which makes a massive, massive, massive difference is trying to give yourself something small to eat every single hour. Now, typically what we see from hikers is we will have, you know, our breakfast, our lunch, our dinner, maybe we'll have a snack in between. Um, and that's about it. And there's absolutely no argument that you can get through, you know, a day's worth of hiking with that amount of food. You can get through a day's worth of hiking with one or two meals. Some people don't eat all day. Like there's no argument that that is not possible. Um, but if you want to really, really minimize fatigue as much as you can, making this small change to eating a something small every single hour, or at least before you're getting hungry and getting those signal cues, um, can be a really easy way to top up your energy stores to make sure you're performing at your best and that makes make sure you're you know, reducing the likelihood of fatigue creeping up. Um, so typically what you want to look at here is thinking small, easily digestible things. Highly recommend the carbohydrate here, but if you're a low carbohydrate or no carbohydrate person, just ignore this. But you want to be looking at something quickly digesting high carbohydrate. So little, little things like here might be, you know, uh, jelly babies, snakes, it might be Snickers, it might be pikelets, it might be pancakes. If you're, you know, prefer a more whole food approach, it might be sort of freeze dried, you know, mango or pineapple or something like that. Um, but something's gonna not gonna sit in your stomach, but can just give you that little little bit of energy. And then cueing yourself to have it every single hour, um, just a little a little something. You don't have to stop and make a big deal out of it. Can make a massive, massive, massive difference. Now, when it comes to through hikers and, you know, people who are doing longer trips, you know, sometimes food carry concerns can be a bit tricky there. So you do have to sort of consider what you're going to be doing. Um, but, you know, some typical ways you can make this really easy is you can do um, like an electrolyte supplement, which has carbohydrates in it and just sip that as long as you go through. Um, you can sort of make up a smoothie at the start of the day. Um, I think you had Aaron on here from Backcountry Foodie the other day, and she does this amazing. She makes a smoothie at the start of the day. I was just thinking of her smoothie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that's a really easy way of just sort of sipping along as you go. Um, so that's number one, trying to have something small every single hour, or at least if you can't get that in, eat before you're hungry and cue yourself to do that. This can get a bit trickier when you're with groups. So you do need to be organized if you're hiking with other people and you don't want to stop and yada, yada. So you do need to be organized, have a convenient, make a difference. Number two, another really, really easy win when it comes to minimizing fatigue is just maintaining your levels of hydration. Again, hikers are typically pretty bad at this um, and will sort of, you know, have a few drinks here and there and then maybe have a big drink at lunch, a big drink at dinner or whatever it is. People do have weight carry concerns as well, which is admittedly, you know, something to be aware of, but just being conscious of your hydration on the trail and making an effort to stay hydrated, not going crazy with it, but stay hydrated, it can make a really, really big difference because even a small drop in dehydration, um, it can make a big difference to your physical performance. So if you're trying to stave off fatigue, keep it on top of this. Now, the measure that's probably easiest for any hiker on the trail when it comes down to this, you can work out specific hydration targets and that and that, but it gets a bit complicated. But the easiest measure is to just look at your urine color and try to maintain a clear to straw colored urine um, throughout. So you might go to, you know, go to the toilet a couple of times on the trail or something, just have a look, see where you're at. Um, and that's a really, really easy way of maintaining it. Now, obviously, you don't want to go too crazy and too on board and be guzzling water, 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 because that comes with other complications around overhydration. But just trying to maintain that level once you're there, you know, try to just sit at that. And that can make a massive difference. Um, the third tip, which makes a huge difference as well, is trying when you're on the trail to try to maintain a pace where you can regularly breathe through your nose and comfortably breathe through your nose. Now, this may be a bit tricky for people in the cold weather or who do have a blocked up nose. So in that situation, at a pace where you can happily just carry a conversation. Now, the reason behind this, if you can stick to this pace, it's a pretty clear indicator that you're predominantly using your aerobic energy system to fuel your performance, which I mentioned before is super, super fuel efficient. You can use it for hours and hours and hours without it really fatiguing too much. And it's a really, really easy measure of maintaining that. Um, so when you're going on the flat, when you're going up hills, when you're going down hills, trying to maintain that pace. Alternatively, if you're getting to that stage where you're huffing and puffing or you can't carry conversation or can't carry through your nose, um, breathe through your nose, it's not the end of the world by any means. Like it's not going to kill you or anything like that. But that particular intensity is going to burn through your energy a little bit quicker. And that's going to, you know, speed up the levels of fatigue a little bit quicker. So the more you can maintain that nose breathing pace, the, uh, the bigger difference it can be. Initially, for some people, when they're first doing this, it may make the uphills torturous. It may make them feel so slow because they may take two steps and like, oh my gosh, I'm out of breath. 
And yeah, if that if that's you, then you need to you know put a bit of focus in your training, um, or you just need to really really slow it down. Initially, it may be tricky to do, but if you stick with it and apply with it for a few days of hiking or a few weeks of you know when you're doing day hikes or whatever, it'll make a massive massive difference. And and that's such an easy thing that hikers can do and a measure you can do without relying on heart rate measures or anything like that. Um, that makes a massive difference. Um, and then the fourth step, um, which we were literally just talking about before, use hiking poles. Um, they improve your movement efficiency going uphill and they reduce your rate of perceived exertion going uphill. So it just makes things easier and you're using less energy in that section and it can reduce fatigue through the day. So eat every hour, maintain your hydration, stick to nose breathing pace, use hiking poles. Those four things any hiker can put into action pretty much straight away and it can make a massive difference to your fatigue levels and, and ultimately your enjoyment um, towards the end of the day. It kind of surprises me that one of those isn't just rest, just take, take <laughs> yeah. regular breaks. I for sure thought that was going to be one of them. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's, uh, that's obviously up there as well. Um, the reason that's not a part of my list is, you know, some hikers, uh, every hike is a little bit different. Some people love the speed level. Some people don't like, you know, hiking with groups and they can't choose their own rest and, and yada, yada. So um, I used to say that, but then people always brought up points. And I was like, oh, you know what? <laughs> you, you can figure it out yourself with the rest. <laughs> right, right. Because I mean, it's so different for every hiker. Some some don't even like to rest. Some don't even know what the word rest necessarily means. But yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like definitely something that's, I thought that would for sure be on that list that you were saying there. <laughs> oh, it's definitely, definitely an easy win there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but for people that don't know Backcountry Foodie, that's definitely a good episode to check out with Erin. She's a dietitian and like things go very perfectly hand in hand with fitness and dietitian and really being able to do your best when you're out on that trail and achieve your highest potential. So um, the other thing is, is drinking like those, would you suggest to like people drinking those electrolyte packages? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like electrolytes are another really easy win for a lot of people. Um, and for really anyone who's hiking over, over a couple of hours, it's probably worthwhile. Um, generally with that type of stuff, you don't have to go too crazy, but it can be pretty beneficial in regards to um, helping you get a little bit more water in. It can be in regards to reducing fatigue, improving performance, even improving your mood. There's some evidence to show that with like sustained aerobic, uh, aerobic activity. Um, typically, if you're doing a long hike, you want to have some electrolytes. If you're having a super hot hike, you want to have more electrolytes because you're, you're sweating that out. Um, and there's a million and one brands out there. Um, I typically recommend just trying to find something that has the electrolytes um, that also has some carbohydrates to get that easy fuel in, as long as you're not opposed to carbohydrates um, and something that you have tested and tasted before you go on the trail. Because number one, some of those things can get real sickly sweet really quickly. So if you're trying to have the same flavor for three or four or five or months at a time oh my gosh like <laughs> that might not be fun and number two sometimes they can be a little bit funny on the gut for some people and um, so if you the first time you have an electrolyte supplement in the middle of the trail <laughs> yeah or on the top of the mountain you probably don't want to be <laughs> getting that situation so yeah have a something with carbohydrates and test it before you go and make sure you got a flavor that you can typically enjoy um and you're 100 percent sure you'll be able to enjoy Definitely. Yeah. I'm definitely a fan of the liquid IV brand. I don't know if you guys have that over in Australia. Yeah, we do. I, I haven't tried it myself, um, but I've heard good things. I've heard a lot of people enjoy it. So yeah, that could be a good one. The stuff I typically recommend um, to my hikers is a stuff called Tailwind, um, which is sort of, uh, you know, it's one of the big names in in this type of this thing. The It's a high quality supplement. It's, it's, got a really subtle taste so you don't get sick of it um, it's supposed to be nicer on the gut compared to other things and also on top of that is it can actually go into your hydration bladder and not like stain it with that nasty funky flavor which some uh, you know if you're just putting gatorade in it probably will um, it is a little more expensive than some other stuff um, but that's what i recommend just because uh, you know it's a good product but um but yeah that could be another option okay now that we're on the topic of food i gotta ask is vegemite something that Australians regularly bring on the trail when hiking <laughs> like do you guys bring it on the trail like we bring peanut butter and can you explain uh, Vegemite for people that don't know what it is <laughs> so so yeah Vegemite is a black paste which we put on our um it's a national national food which we put on like toast and that um it's pretty much just pure yeast and salt so it's like it's just salt 
pretty much. Um, so typically when people come to Australia, the first thing they do, they're like, oh, I'll try some Vegemite and they butter it on like peanut butter. They take a bite and they're like, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> my reaction. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you try and Vegemite for the first time, just a very, very, very light coating, just a little bit and it's all right. Um, some people some people do take it on the trail for like Vegemite sandwiches, a Vegemite cheese sandwich is a typical one. Um, I used to do it on, um, on crackers and Vegemite butter and crackers. I used to love that. Um, but typically Australians will usually, well, will often, I won't say usually, will often bring one when they're doing a, an extended international hike. Um, and it's one of those sort of feel like home comfort foods. Um, so if they're going to go to, you know, maybe, you know, the Pacific, Pacific Crest Trail or the, the AT or, or something a bit longer where they're going to be away from home for, for a while. Um, I know a lot of Australians bring a little pot just to sort of, you know, feel like home. So, um, so there you go. <laughs> I love it. I remember I came back from Australia with a bunch of those little like condiment sized packages of Vegemite just so I could like have people try it back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it doesn't have the best international reputation, I would say, but but yeah, but we love it. <laughs> yeah, well, and the fact that you guys just use it like butter, like it, I remember it being on my host families when I lived in Australia, it was just on their kitchen table as if it was a butter dish. <laughs> Yeah, one of, one of my friends uses uses it as a base underneath his eggs when he makes poached eggs or fried eggs, and I think that's really really weird. Like you know, I always grill him on it, but people do some some weird and wonderful things with it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a staple. It's definitely something everyone needs to try if they go to Australia. <laughs> definitely. So it looks like you started your own podcast as well. Yeah. So um. So. When I first started Summer Strength, I was, you know, I was coming on a few different podcasts and talking about this subject. So I love talking about it. And I just realized there's just so much I want to talk about. And hikers love podcasts and I love talking. So yeah, I started my own podcast specifically around um, training for hiking and physical preparation and nutrition and mental strength. Um, and it's called the the Training for Trekking Podcast. And you can find that on, you know, any any podcast platform, you know, YouTube, iTunes, all of that. Um, and we've, uh, we've been going for a little while now. So we're up to, I think, 160 episodes or so. So I've covered pretty much every subject you could possibly think of. Had a few really, really good guests on. Just had Aaron on the other week, actually. So so yeah, it's uh, I really thoroughly enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah, I think even in your trailer, you said you guys were like the first hiking training strength training podcast ever created. Uh, to my knowledge, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think there's been a few few hiking podcasts that have had trainers on, but there hasn't been a specific show dedicated to that. So, um, so, so yeah, I'm happy to say that I was first there as long as no one uh, ever disputes that. I'm not sure, but we'll see. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any that I specifically know. And it just kind of like wraps back around to what we were talking about before about how people don't always think about the training before the hike necessarily. I mean, there, there wasn't a podcast created about it, but there's, I mean, apparently, but like there's, you know, there's podcasts created for everything you can think of now. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So I'm feeling a very, very particular niche in the market. Um, but the people, yeah, if you're interested in that type of thing, it can be a really nice resource. Um, Cause yeah, just go into to all the weird and wonderful parts of training for, for your adventures. Yeah. And so if people wanted to like, to be, be one of your clients what could they expect and where can they find information so so yeah so if if you are interested in this subject um so essentially what i do day to day and my full-time job is as a purely online trainer for for hikers trekkers and mountaineers so you know i've got people all through australia through the states through canada through the uk and a whole bunch of other random countries so if you were interested in learning a little bit more there are sort of options available to get you either fit strong and resilient for a particular adventure to help you overcome foot, knee, back or ankle pain if that's something you deal with on the trail or if you just enjoy your hiking and you just want to be fit and you know in a position where you can go out and just enjoy whatever that comes up so there's a few different options for you there if you were interested in that type of thing probably the best place to find me is if you want to learn a little bit more about what I do check out that podcast the training for trekking podcast you can hear sort of how I go about my training how I help people there's a few client interviews on there if you're interested in self-education and just learning more about this subject and learning some exercises learning some routines teams, learning some advice and that. Um, I run a free Facebook group, which is called the Training for Hiking and Trekking Facebook group, completely free. Uh, loads of information gets loaded on there. So if you are interested in upskilling yourself a little bit, come and join that. 
Um, and then if you were interested in learning about the programs which I offer and potentially getting a bit of help with your training and your preparation, um, you can find my website at summitstrength.com.au. Um, you can check out all the success stories there. Um, you can check out all the programs and, and you can uh, sort of um, shoot me a message through that. So a few options depending on what works better for you. But, um, but yeah, if you are looking for a little bit of help, I'd absolutely love to, uh, to have a chat with you. Awesome. And is there anything else we, that you wanted to add to our conversation today? Um, I think uh, yeah, I think that the only thing to sort of wrap all of this up is, you know, today I've sort of gotten, you know, a little bit technical in certain points and a little bit, you know, sort of talked about some very, very specific points. But, you know, your training, you know, it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be too, you know, outrageous. You don't have to train like a bodybuilder. You don't have to train, you know, running yourself into the ground. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to do all these things that you typically first think about when it comes to training. As long as you can apply a little bit of structure. So you sort of, you know, ticking off all your bases, you know, you're attacking what you need to do. And as long as you can be consistent and as long as you can sort of um, progress over time and slowly increase the difficulty and you find something that you enjoy, they're the main four, the, the four key pillars when it comes to training. There's a million and one ways you can get fit for the trail. Um, but as long as you apply those four things and find those four things, it can take you a long, long way, whether it's to your local adventures, whether it's to your bucket list adventures or what anything in between. So, um, yeah, I think that's the, the last thing to sort of wrap it all up on that front. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. Thank you so much. It's been so absolutely lovely chatting about this all, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me on because I love this subject. I love chatting about it. And um, and yeah, hopefully a few people can get some, a bit of value from it all. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's so much value to being fit when you're going out hiking. Because like you said, people, you, people go out to the trail to enjoy what the trail brings to you. But if your body isn't ready for that, and if you instantly are getting injured, then that's going to take the enjoyment away. So the more you can do to prevent that, the more enjoyable it's going to be out there in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I generally say there's three outcomes you're looking for with your training for your hiking, um, a safe, enjoyable, and successful adventure. So successful is pretty, well, I'm not going to do that finger, sorry. <laughs> successful is pretty, uh, pretty self-explanatory. If you step into a big adventure, you know, you want to be able to complete it. You know, if you're going to an international hike, you want to be able to complete it. That's pretty self-explanatory. Um, a safe adventure is sort of making sure, look, I'm not struggling with pain. I'm not breaking down my body. I don't have a fall and get injured or roll my ankle or something like that. And then enjoyable is the last one because we don't want to spend the whole time on the trail huffing and puffing or looking at our feet or just counting down the kilometers or the miles. Um, we want to be taking all in. We want to be looking at the nature. We want to be chatting with our friends. We want to be enjoying it every step of the way almost. So, you know, wherever you fit into that, you know, safe, enjoyable or successful or a combination of all three, you know, that's where your training is ultimately aiming for. Awesome. Okay. I have one more question about Australia. <laughs> Go for it. Do you guys... Like, cause I didn't see kangaroos there like a ton, but like when you're out hiking in Australia in the deep woods, do you see kangaroos? Like, like we would see a deer. Um, so it really, yeah, it depends where you're hiking. Um, so where I'm around Sydney, um, we see, uh, little kangaroos. So like little wallabies. Um, so they're like quarter of the size of a kangaroo and you see them just sort of hop off in the distance. And that's pretty close to the city and um, where we are. So they're around. Um, when you're getting a little bit further away from the city, when there's some like sort of open ground, yeah, there's definitely kangaroos around, um, but it really depends where you're hiking. So they're not too uncommon at all. Um, you probably just uh, weren't lucky enough to be in the right spots for them. Definitely not. Cause I remember we had to go to what was basically a petting zoo to actually go <laughs> see kangaroos up close, like the touristy trap. <laughs> yeah yeah i'll tell you what i love those petting zoos anyway when i was a kid they were my favorite places in the world feed the kangaroos so <laughs> they're not too bad <laughs> yes i have pictures feeding the kangaroos of course but yeah i mean i that's awesome that you could just like see them out on the trail if you're in the right spot yeah well and they're, I... they're dangerous i think uh not really like it's more if you're if you're not very smart and you're sort of, you know, start hassling kangaroos and there's a, an aggressive male around, yeah, you might, might not be a good thing, but, um, but they're not the hardest thing to stay away from as long as you're, <laughs> you're not testing your luck. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, and do you have a favorite spot that you would suggest people to go hike in Australia if they've never been there before? Oh, big, big question. So if, if you're in Sydney, um, where I live, like the Blue Mountains is the, the only 
well, it's not the only hiking spot, but it's the only, it's the most beautiful area. And it's like the only sort of elevation we have around. You can get in the bush and be absolutely nowhere. And there's so much hiking around there. Um, if you're just coming to Australia, um, the state Tasmania is where you want to go, um, which is a little island just off the south of um, the south of Australia at the bottom. It's a state itself, um, but that's sort of where all the um, well, not all, most of the iconic hikes in Australia are. It's beautiful everywhere you go. There's just wonderful nature. Pretty much all Aussies, all hiking Aussies, are heading down there these days because COVID's restricted the international travel. So everyone's heading down there. Um, so if yeah, if you come into Australia and you love your hiking, make sure you put aside a, a week or two to go down to Tassie because um, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Awesome. Definitely putting that on the bucket list. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.